Hello, story lovers. Welcome to Alligator Preserves. Today, I have a very special guest, award-winning author and publisher, Kelly Lynn Colby. So stay tuned. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Kelly, welcome to Alligator Preserves. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to be here, too. And Actually, I have to confess that we met recently when Kelly interviewed me just a little while ago. We had so much fun on her podcast, but we'll get to that. Kelly, you're coming to us from? Houston, Texas. And tell me how you're doing there. Tell me, did you have to go through that horrendous power outage and and cold a while ago? We did, but we somehow or another were lucky enough not to have our power cut. So instead, we had lots of people come to our house who did have their power cut. But because of COVID, we couldn't have everyone over at once. So we'd have to clean. And I had a friend who had, um, and she even had electric. So she was out of power and she had an electric stove. So she couldn't even cook anything. So she came over to our house. We cooked a bunch of stuff, put it in thermoses so she could keep it warm. They came over to thaw out and then she went home. Then we had to clean everything. And then we had another family come over because she had to do her timesheet for work, but they had no power. So they had no internet. She couldn't sign in. So it was like one after we had people come over to charge their phones. We... So we were like the local hotel, <laughs> but but with COVID, we couldn't, if it wasn't COVID, we probably would have had six or seven families at our house. It's not a small house. It's not huge, but in an emergency, we can pack them in. Oh with my COVID, goodness. Just, it complicated everything. Yes. Did you learn anything from it? Um, buy a generator and we have one, but I mean, buy a full house generator. Yeah. It's on our list now. And I bet you couldn't even get one. Right now, well, we could put an order in right now, but they're expensive. So people still aren't lining up for them yet. But oh the small gosh. generators, I mean, we are hurricane territory. If you don't have a small generator, you, you really need to get one. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through that. We have a son in Austin. And yeah, he, he tried to make his own generator out of different parts and motors and things. And <laughs> Interesting. Crazy time and a sad time. And I'm, I'm glad that that's in the past. Kelly Lynn Colby. I like to have my visitors introduce themselves and tell our readers what you want them to know about it, as only you can do best. So who is, who are you? Who is Kelly Lynn Colby? Such a complicated question. I love it. Well, the simple answer for the, what, what's appropriate for my writing life is that I am the editorial director at Curse Dragonship Publishing, where we specialize in speculative fiction. And because I'm a writer myself, we're very writer focused. So we like, you know, we take care of the writers. We make sure that, you know, their books are gorgeous, that they have proper editing, that, you know, all that. We're very, very writer focused. Uh, we know if we take good care of the writers that the readers are going to get amazing work. So that's the plan there. I'm also a freelance editor. Quite frankly, that's what pays the bills now. So that's that's actually paying for the publishing company. So I do that as well. And then I'm a writer. So I'm also a writer. Like people say, that's one of those things you're just born either being a writer or not a writer. But these other hobbies, it's really difficult to be a writer, especially today, and sustain yourself. So it's like you kind of have to have your hand in multiple baskets to live the creative life that you want. So that's what I've chosen to do. Advice to writers and artists and musicians is don't quit your day job, right? Because Yes. Rule number one. 
and that's sad. But it's also exciting because we do live in a time when everyone, if they have a story, they can get it out there. That's true. But yeah, don't don't quit your day job. So I understand you have um, a Navy background. You know that I was in the Army for a while, but you're in the Navy. Tell me about that. Why? Well, I joined, I, I was escaping and I'm a Navy brat. Both of my parents were in the Navy and I was in college and I had a full scholarship and I was a dumb kid and I was like, I'm out of here. And I joined the Navy and ran away. So, it, I mean, as running away goes, it's a pretty safe way to do it, right? Right. And, and I wanted a challenge. I bore easily. So I went nuclear engineer because um, you had to take extra tests. And they're like, this is the hardest one. I'm like, done. Sign me up for that. Well, that was a mistake because that was boring. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. It was not for me. Let's just say it was not for me. I should have joined the Navy band. I would have been much happier. Or languages. That would have been so fun. Navy band. What would you have played? Uh, Clarinet to start, but I played clarinet and trumpet. And I I mess around on the piano. So eventually I want to play that. And I have, I'm working on calluses for the guitar. My son's teaching me right now. So (laughs) I have, I have one of my son's guitars here. Uh, He's at Fort Bragg, North Carolina right now. So we, we, we're pretty much an army family, but I that's okay. Yeah. Yes, we're a Navy family. And the best thing that happened out of the Navy was I met my husband. I met my husband in the army. Isn't that nice? It's yeah. very nice. You know, as, as, as people would say, you know, was he issued to you or were you issued to him? <laughs> well, we laugh because in, in the nuke program uh, specifically, it's one female for every like 72 men. So I always said, I had my pick. I got the best one. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he'll be happy to hear this yes, he, later on. Right. Tell him that's his that's his Easter gift to you. And, th- and again, thank you for taking time on Easter weekend to do this with me. So it's all good. we can't go anywhere. <laughs> oh, I know. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt with some some of our friends' kids this weekend. And I'm so excited for it. It'll be a blast. Yes. Cursed Dragonship. Tell me about the name, first of all, and I know that you you do fantasy, and I understand that dragons occasionally pop into your your YA fantasy. Are we talking your, your young adult fantasy here? Mm-hmm. Well, I, for personally, I do have Tarbin's True Heir and Tarbin's False Prophet, and that's a YA fantasy, and it's a lot of fun, and I loved writing it. The but it was my first foray into writing, so that's the that's the first thing I ever tackled, and. It's amazing to me how many writers I talk to and and like epic fantasy is the first thing they write. And I don't know if it's because we loved it so much growing up or, you know, just one thing after another was epic fantasy. And we read so much of it. So many of my writer friends and one after another. And usually after that, they kind of find something else. Like Jim Butcher started with epic fantasy and um, Kim Harrison started with epic fantasy. Like so you can even do these big famous writers that move to something else. They started with epic fantasy. That was their first love. So I guess that's just where I did too. And then I moved on to paranormal thriller and turned out I'm way better at writing that. <laughs> well, I have not read your your YA fantasy, but I have read the other and, and we'll get into that. But Cursed Dragonship? Why Cursed Dragonship? Tell me about because the name. Because we only want to do speculative fiction. As a small press, it's much easier if you specialize. And because we love to do conventions, it's one of our favorite hobbies. Like my husband was on board with me starting the publishing company because he wants to go to more to conventions. So we're like, we could totally do this. People are like, why'd you start a company? We're like, conventions, duh. It's so much fun. And at the conventions, these are the people we know. We know the speculative fiction people. That's who we are. That's what I like to write. My favorite writers are speculative fiction. So we were trying to find something, a name that encapsulated 
the three main branches of speculative fiction. And so that is fantasy. Well, actually, it starts horror, right? That's why it's cursed. Dragon for fantasy and ship as in spaceship, which you see on the logo for science fiction. So those are the only three things we publish. But there's a lot of branches under those larger categories. But that's it. That's all we publish. So we have no we don't have any nonfiction, no children's books younger than YA, no anything else, no women's fiction, no any other kind of fiction, no memoirs, nothing like that. So we have, we're very specialized in what we publish. Excellent name. And I know we, we talked a little bit about DragonCon um, when we visited the other day. Uh, can you tell our listeners about DragonCon? Because I've never been to one, but I would love to attend. Oh, DragonCon is the largest volunteer-run fan convention in the world. It's huge, and it's amazing. My husband volunteers for it now. I'm an attending professional. Uh, we have friends that are um, celebrity handlers, so they... It's incredible. It is so popular and so big. They pay celebrities ways there, like they'll pay for their plane tickets and all that, but they don't actually pay them. They just guarantee they're going to make a certain amount of money because that's how many people come. And we do. And it, even though it's huge, there's like, there was like 82,000 people in 2019 since 2020 is a myth. 2019. And it was huge. And it's, there's so many people, but it's like 80,000 of your best friends because they think like you they act like you they understand they love the same things you do they debate the same things you do so it's so much fun to have intelligent arguments about opinions and still be friends and drink afterwards it's just the best place I I, I feel like I'm at home there and it is the place I actually decided to write as a living okay well that goes right into my next question is when when did you know that you could write but before, but I also want you to talk about, about like, do you dress up when you go to Dragon Con? I don't because um, I like the really fancy ones and I can't afford that yet. And I don't <laughs> have the time to make them all on my own. So it's my own arrogance, maybe, that I want to look darn good when I do it, that I haven't done it yet. So may, maybe someday. And I'm impressed. And Dragon Con is no joke cosplay. The cosplay is incredible. We take thousands of pictures when we go. You could just sit on a balcony and watch people and have a great time, even if you do nothing else. I've done a couple of the Denver Comic-Cons, Comic-Con that switched to Denver Pop Culture Con, and now it's going to be something else, I think, next year. But, oh, my gosh, they are, as you said, they're so much fun. And you just get so wired every day because the interaction with people who go to cons is superb. It's just as you said, they're all excited to be there. They're all excited to meet you. I mean, to have a stranger come running over to your table to say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here, you know, and, and have a great conversation. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. so, so when did you know you could write? Well, I mean, I know I could write since I was little. Right? How? Just like How? Who people, told you? Like Who teachers, told you? Teachers, one teacher after another. You know, my mother, I actually believe my mother. I'm one of those kids. And, and then anyone, like I remember in college, we had to write a quick uh, yeah, you know, the college I quit to run away. Anyways, we had to write like a quick, it was an essay and it, she gave us like two weeks and I was the normal procrastinator and I wrote it the night before and it was a descriptive. It was like, you know, 500 words, which back then seemed like a lot. Now it seems like nothing, right? When you actually start to write. But back then it was a lot to do 500 words. I'm like, I just have to get it done. I got it done, turned it in. And she was so impressed. She read it to the class in college. And she was like, I can tell you that this person, because she didn't say who it was, right? This person worked on this for weeks and she edited it. And, she, and I'm like, 
I'm like, oh my, I didn't, I just threw that thing together. I don't. So it's like, I knew I could write, but knowing you can write, that feels more like knowing you can just talk people into things, right? Like knowing you can convince people to give you the car for cheaper, like it's haggling. That's not, to me, that wasn't a sellable skill. So I never pursued it as a career. Hmm. So I, I've always been more practical in my life. I've always been more, this is what you do for a living. This is what you do next. This is the next step. This is what you do next. I, I just, considering how imaginative my books are, it's kind of weird that my life decisions are not like that. I am not brave. I'm not adventuresome. But you joined that so. you ran away and joined the Navy. I did. But to me, that was safe. Remember, <laughs> it's what I knew. It's what I knew. It, that's why I ran from college because I was going into territory I wasn't familiar with, wasn't comfortable with, and didn't know what to do with. So okay. I was like, but I know the Navy. I've dipped my whole life, right? I saw my dad do it, my mom do it, and the, you know, I, other relatives do it. I knew what that was. That was comforting and familiar. Okay. What was the first thing you published? First thing was Tarbin's True Air. So, and it was with a small press, Inklings Publishing. It's run by friend Brady, and she's awesome. I adore her. So it was my first editing gig was with her too. But I didn't start writing until the first Dragon Con I went to. And it turns out they have a bunch of free writing classes. This isn't just celebrities. They have a ton, a ton of writers there. I have met some of my most, I have um, Tracy Hickman signed all these uh, Death Gate cycle ones. I was on a panel with him last time. I was like, oh, I can just sit beside Tracy Hickman. You've got to be kidding me. So like you meet all these wonderful people. Well, I sat down at a talk with Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Mesta. And it was a, this is writing, this is professional writers talk. This is what you do to be a professional writer. And they had rules. And like you said, rule number one was don't quit your day job. And they went through all these rules. And I was like, well, I can do that. I could do that too. What, you have to be professional, never be a jerk to anyone? I can do that. And so like he went through all these things and suddenly it became real to me. Suddenly it became something I could actually do and make money at, not something that was just a hobby that I would just sketch in notebooks, you know, things that I wanted or characters I had or ideas I had. And then I put it aside and never finish anything because what's the point? And so they, quite frankly, Kevin G. Anderson and Rebecca Mesta gave me permission to be an actual author. That's excellent. Well, that answers that question about who inspired you to do that. So yep. that's, that's fabulous. So I decided that I would read your book, The Collector. And I've got to tell you, the, your very first sentence, I laughed my butt off. <laughs> how, how long did it take you to come up with that very first sentence? To be honest, I wrote the short story first. That was the beginning. And so I would probably say about a year to actually get that right. Because it was also getting her character. So yes. once you really know who she is then I knew what the first sentence should be. It was excellent. And it told me right away that this was not a YA book <laughs> and that there was going to be humor and that there was going to be mystery. I mean, you really nailed that first sentence. And first sentences are important, right? Oh, very important. People have short attention spans. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, I want people to buy your book, The Collector, just so that they can read the first sentence. Because once they read the first sentence, they're going to want to read the rest of it. I just, I just died. It was amazing. So your main character, Fauna, mm -hmm. you decided to make her an empath. Yes. Why? I always had ideas. I wouldn't call them beliefs because I don't, I don't believe any of this is real. I don't personally. But I've always had ideas 
about with humans, basically we're just, you know, big bags of water with electricity running through us. So what if that kind of thing, which basically is a computer minus the water, right? So what if, if we had a very, very strong emotional reaction, which we've all had them, right? We've all lived life. We've all had them good and bad. And unfortunately, the bad ones tend to last longer. It's survival, right? So if you pay attention to the bad ones longer, you're more likely to survive. So we have these emotions. I was like, what if that electrical current that happened actually left an impression on whatever you were holding? So that's what actually started the whole thing. So I just could imagine because I actually, I'm not an empath. Like I said, I don't actually believe it, but I'm really good at reading people. And, and you've seen those people look like they're reading your mind and they're just so good at reading people and predicting human behavior. They can do it. So I was like, but what if they were reading your mind? What if this was really happening? What if someone could sense all of those emotion things? What, what, how would you handle life? I tend to walk around with my hands in my pocket because I want to touch everything because I feel it all right. Like I go to a museum and I have to put my hands in my pocket because I don't want to touch the paintings, but I do want to touch them very badly. So what if you had to do it? Because if you did touch them, it would physically affect you. So that that's actually where the entire idea came from. It was just the what ifs, you know, what, what happens if this thing was actually real? And the entire idea came because I went to, we have like this, one of these old fashioned places in, uh, it's called Old Town Spring. And they have these old, these shops that are in these old houses that existed when that used to be a train depot. Mm-hmm. And the train tracks still go by it, but there's no depot there anymore. And so you have all these cute little things. Well, one of them had, it's very much like the, the one I described okay. where everything in there, it was trying to be, you know, oh, these are, these are old things, but they were really just nifty, unique, eclectic things that you wouldn't find anywhere else. And I love that story. It's my favorite. So I went in there once and there was the statue, the statue she finds. That's where the whole thing came from because that statue, again, not an empath. Don't believe it. When I saw that statue, I didn't move. I sat there for like 30 minutes I was there with all of my girlfriends but they know I'm a little off so I was like I'm just gonna so there might be a little autobiography in this book anyway so I'm just gonna stand here for a little while y'all keep shopping I'll find you in a minute I could it made me cry for no reason so that entire thing I connected that with the what if with my own insecurities and put that all together and created fauna in this world well, you just answered my question about how much of Fauna is you because you, you're, she's very self-deprecating. She likes to cook for her friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like you were in her. And you say that you're not an empath, but I would disagree with you because I don't think you could have written this so well to make me feel what she was feeling as she's going through these things because – you know, I was there in your story. So you have to have some element of that. I don't care if you don't believe it. You you have some in you. So there. So thank you or gosh, doggone it. I don't, I don't know which I don't have to do that. <laughs> Would I, you? I don't want her ability. Let me tell you that. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I wouldn't either. Oh my gosh. And again, what you did with that. I mean, I've got my, my character, Maddie in the water white series is mm-hmm. an empath and she can read she can get into minds and she can help communicate and all that so yeah it's not like being an empath is a unique thing again there are no unique ideas but it's what you do with that and what you did with it in the collector is so unique i mean touching a thing and and having that thing retain the experience stunning i thank you would you read a passage 
from the collector? Sure. Show us. Show us the audience. And for those of you listening, you can't see this, but you can go online and look for Kelly Lynn Colby's book, The Collector. You want to show our audience the cover first. Isn't it beautiful? Look there at that is. cover. Oh, it is. It's so pretty. And this this is Houston. Because as so you've read it, you know, Houston is like one of the characters. Yes. And it becomes yes, it even is. more it, as the story goes along. Houston's definitely one of the characters in this. I love this city. Uh, all that's good and all that's bad, which we talk about both <laughs> in the book. But I, I love the city. So, And by the way, I, re I read The Collector on my Kindle and I read it straight through. I didn't stop because I, wow. I, had, I had to know how it was going to resolve. So read us a passage. Excellent. All right. So I'm going to read chapter four. What do I say? I hovered in front of the elevator for 10 minutes and stared at the red door at the other end of the hallway. My heart raced as if I just finished a marathon. No, I can do this. I pressed the elevator button. What was I thinking? Driving out here to bang on the door of a complete stranger and demand answers for questions I didn't know how to ask. The elevator doors slid open and I took one step. My muscles tensed, refusing to move any further. If Albert really was cursed and he could so effortlessly coexist with the remnants that tortured me, maybe he could teach me the trick, show me how to control this curse. If I walked away now, I could be alone forever, stuck in this not life. The only real connections to humanity I had were Gina and Amelia. What would happen if they married and had families and left me behind? I never dared dream of a husband and children and PTA meetings and strolls on the beach, but maybe I could have had that with Albert's help. Maybe he could teach me how to be normal. So I had to take the chance. In one determined moment, I pivoted on my heels, marched down the hall and knocked on number 413. On its own, the door swung open before I had a chance to drop my fist. Doubt flooded my mind as the smell of rotten food wafted from the darkness. My forearm blocked my nose. Over the foul odor flowed more emotional remnants. I hadn't considered the possibility there would be other pieces at his place. I should have finished that bottle of wine before I headed over here. A little numbing would be a welcome gift. My gloves hugged my hands as I steeled my resolve. A metal rack stacked tightly with eclectic pieces practically vibrated with impressions. I marveled at the cultivated collection. Albert, or his partner, must have combed the state to amass these objects embedded with memories. I had come across only a few in my entire lifetime. Was he putting together statues and placing them all over the city, like a kind of calling card for cursed people to track him down? How many of us could there possibly be? What was I getting myself into? Albert, my voice echoed against the dark walls, like these shelves were the only furniture in the place. I should probably just leave, but you summoned me, Albert. Ugh, my mother's hymn in my mind turned to her voice, admonishing me for my lack of manners. Mr. Johnson, are you here? A dim light beckoned me further into the apartment. That smell turned my stomach. He couldn't be here. No one would leave food to rot that long without tossing it. What was next? I guess I could leave him a note. It felt strange to leave my details after breaking into a stranger's home, but I wasn't sure what else to do. Around the shelves I was careful not to touch, a small Victorian stained glass lamp offered a bit of light. On its table sat a notepad and a pencil, roughly carved, like with a penknife instead of a formal school sharpener. Something was really wrong, but I, I couldn't figure out what it was. The impressions beating my brain made it difficult to think clearly. My hands shook as I reached for the writing utensil. I'm leaving you a note, Mr. Johnson. If you're here, I'll... Ah, damn it. 
The pencil slipped from my hands and rolled toward the kitchen. It stopped abruptly in a drop of liquid. When I retrieved it, all I could think was how gross this apartment was. As I turned the pencil in my hand, the thick fluid was almost gel-like. The pale lamplight reflected off a deep red, almost purple pigment. What is this? Curry, maybe? Or rancid ketchup? My heart beat faster as something deep down, something under the haze of the wine, told me it wasn't a condiment. Before I had time to question my actions, I used the light from my phone to follow the trail around the faux wall between the kitchen and living area. All other emotions, mine and those of the impressions, vanished in an instant, and all I felt was shock. The light rippled as tremors shook my hands. Sprawled in the middle of the black and white classic tiles lay the mutilated corpse of Albert Johnson. Ooh, yes. And it gets really good from there. (laughs) (laughs) There's dead bodies. I feel bad about it. I don't like dead bodies. Yeah, but you dealt with it well. And again, it's not a YA book because there's some graphic stuff in there for sure. But again, you handled that. I thought very tastefully as well. And, you know, no, no spoiler alerts and that, you know, finding the dead body was not a spoiler alert either, but um, on the back of the book. (laughs) Right. Right. So Fauna has quite a growth arc from the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. Did you, are you a planner or a pantser? Actually um, what I am is I plan my plots, but I pants my characters. Okay. Explain that to our audience. I think most of us know what planning and pantsing is, but Tell us a little more about that, about your process. So I sit down and I plan what's going to happen. Like what I want to see, what I think makes sense, what goes along, what I think the characters are going to do, what I imagine them to be and how to be. I even write little paragraphs about their backgrounds and that kind of thing to actually set them up. Then when I start to actually, and I do that chapter by chapter. So I have every chapter written down, planned. This is how it works, especially with the mystery because I found mysteries are more challenging having never written one before that I had to have the right clues in the right places. I couldn't have the bad guy come out of nowhere, but I couldn't make it obvious, but I couldn't have, I couldn't have just one body. I couldn't have just, so there are all these rules. Yes. I looked up the rules. Like I said, I'm a planner. I, I looked everything up. So there are all these rules. So I was making all these lists of timelines and what I had to do and when things were supposed to happen. So I plotted all that. Then when I start to write, I find out whether what I imagine my characters to be was realistic or not. Because until you actually take that character who you think you know who they are and put them in the setting you so carefully planned, you don't actually know that they're going to work. Right. So that's, that's how I do. That's actually how I do all my novels, but there was way more planning on this one because of the mystery element. You're saying that this is your first murder mystery that you wrote? Yes. Yep. It, it was one of my questions. How, how did you learn to do suspense so well? Who Who is your suspense inspiration? I, You know, that's a good question. I read everything. I don't just, even though I love to write fantasy, I don't just read fantasy. I read everything. And then if you go all the way back to, I mean, I can't say that Stephen King doesn't have an influence on this. I've been reading him since I was 10. I've been reading Clive Cussler since I was 10, right? Those are my first books. But then I read everything. So if, if, if it ended up in my hand, I read it. Like Harry Potter, one of my favorite series of all time, right? When it first came out, I would, it's a children's book. I'm not going to read it. 
And my mom, by the time the third book came out, my mom was like, dude, you've got to read this book. I'm like, it's a children's book. Mom, I've got, have you seen my to be read pile? I don't have time. So my mother, knowing me very well, bought the first book for me and put it in my hand. Because if you put a book in my hand, I will read it. Did she call you dude? Probably. We call each other dude all the time. I don't know. It's a Generation X thing. I, <laughs> I know we're supposed to not be using dude anymore, but it, it happens. But so she did. She put it in my hand and that was it. I was done. So I read a lot. So who exactly was my mystery? I don't know. But let's face it. A lot of the urban fantasy you read also has mysteries in it because it's more of the detective kind of genre. Right. So there's a lot of urban fantasy that has influenced me as well. All right. And then the internets, they'll answer all your questions. Yes, it does. (laughs) It's almost like cheating, isn't it? No, because why write seven bad books if you can write one good one? True. Yeah. You've definitely written at least one good one that I know of. So in there, you're, so you back to your character, Fauna, Uh who you know, wears gloves so that she doesn't accidentally touch something and have all these, and it's almost always negative emotions, although there are some that are pleasant. Mm-hmm. But in order to mask those, she has her mother's hymn, her mother singing a hymn in her voice to ground her. Where'd that come from? I needed something grounding and it just made sense to me because her mother, I, I wrote, worked out her mother's thing and her mother actually um, was an empath as well. You hint at that. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So it's not completely out there because her mother never talked to her. So the only comfort she ever got from her mother was singing. And her mother, even though they didn't go to church on a regular basis, her mother found comfort in hymns. So that's where she got her comfort from. So hence, that's what she uses to block out things. That's just her personal thing. But obviously, it doesn't work very well. She's not living a pretty nice, normal life now, is she? No. So, no. No, no. Heck, the alcohol works too, right? That's why she drinks a lot. Right, right. So that works too. Mm-hmm. The friends, her two friends mm-hmm. are fun, you know, mm-hmm. less less deep, you know, characters for her to kind of bounce off of. Mm-hmm. And then you have the romance. Yes. That, I didn't plan that at all. Oh, come on. I didn't. I forget about romance. I know that's ridiculous, right? I mean, I've been married 24 years. I like found the right guy. I'm like, done, next. I just, (laughs) I just, I always forget about romance when I write my books, but Fauna didn't. So it just, it happened. And it's such, it's even a bigger part in book two. And it's just like, I had, I had no idea this is what was happening. That is one of the things that surprised me, but it was the only thing that made sense. And isn't it awesome when your characters or your situations or your scenes can surprise you. Mm -hmm. It is. It makes it still fun because some people, they plan the whole thing. They're like, okay, I'm done. That was the end of the fun. I'm like, no, you don't understand. There's still so much more discovery to do. And you will find that as you are writing it. And I think that's where the, the pantser part comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. You can only plan so much before your characters start to laugh at you and say, Mm -hmm. no, I'm going to do this. Which is why I also say no outline survives first contact with the characters. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Who's your favorite character? In this one, probably Flores. I actually really like Flores and there's a lot more with him. So he's, he's my favorite character. But Fauna, like I said, Fauna's too much like me. So I don't, I don't even know if I like her very much, but I understand her. I get her. But Flores, I adore Flores. Is he based off of anyone, you know? No, my big thing, see, remember I told you, suck at romance. 
And when you make these two characters who are going to work together, and one's male and one's female, people are automatically going to put them together. So the only thing I wanted, even before he had a name, is I knew I wanted a male detective and I wanted him to be gay because I wanted there to be no chance for a relationship between the two of them. Yeah. So not only is he gay, but he's happily married, right? So it's like, no, there is no chance. This is a friend and a confidant and someone she can trust. This is not a romantic relationship. So yeah. when I first started planning it, that's all I planned. Is this this is who this gentleman is. I liked him too. He he was very, very likable and professional. And he was a great balance and also I would say a grounding character for her for her as well. Yeah. It's like every crazy person needs an ally. Right. right. So that's that's gonna be her ally. Her friends are friends and they love her, but that's not the same thing. He, she needed an ally and that's what he is. Have you watched the iZombie series? I have not. It's on my list, but I have not gotten to it. Oh, my gosh. Because as I was reading your story, I was thinking of iZombie, which is really fun nice. and similar in that, you know, the main character eats the brains of the deceased mm-hmm. and becomes them in a way. And so can see what happens to them. So there was a you, you really need to watch that. It's fascinating. It's fun. I, whenever I saw the commercials, I was like, oh, that looks like a that looks like a show for me. And then I moved on with my life. I just like, <laughs> too much. There's too much. There's a lot to do. So it so in this particular series, mm-hmm. um, how many books? I don't know yet. That part I have not planned. Um, I am writing book two right now. It's called The Healer. OK, so that one's coming up second. And we get to meet her oldest brother and find out why she's afraid of her powers to begin with. So we get more of that in the next book. And you have no idea how many this this could turn into? I don't. Um, I'm pretty sure what I want her entire arc to be, but I'm only pretty sure. Because again, right, no outline survives. So I'm not going to work that hard in making it. I just have an idea of where it, where it should end. But until I write a couple more books, I'm not going to know how many it's going to take to get there. Okay. So do, we'll you do, do you do other projects while you're working on your novels? Do you do short stories? Do you do limericks? Do you- <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, uh, my ADHD brain won't let me do one thing. I can't. I, I won't. If, if I'm trying to do one thing, I end up doing nothing. So it actually is, I'm more productive if I pack it in. So I'm working right now doing research, which I'm writing a short story like I did for The Collector, writing a short story to actually experience this world a bit. And it is an alternative history. And the main character, uh, it is right after the Civil War. We're in um, 1868 in Chicago. I'm like, there's not enough stories about Chicago. How do you, Chicago was so interesting at that time because it was, half of it was still a frontier city and the other half was this industrial megaplex. So you have all of this stuff going on at the same time. It's so fascinating. And so I'm doing all in research. It's for a book. It's not procrastination. I have no idea what you're talking about. I bought like six books and I'm just reading through them, having so much fun. But the whole thing was inspired by, um, I went to Savannah with my Girl Scout troop. So they saved up for years and we went and had a great old time. And again, no big surprise, when I collect things, they're books. So I bought a book that was all about the women in the Civil War. So, you know, what they did. And it wasn't just like nurses like we saw, right? Like, what did they do? And one of these characters, she was in the Union Army. Her name was Sarah Emma Edmonds. And so real life person, she dressed up as a man and joined under a name Franklin Thompson, which she was already using that name because she escaped from her family in Canada. 
took on the the guise of Franklin Thompson and then decided she wanted to fight for her new country. By the way, she was 18, joined the Union Army. They totally believed she was a man. She'd been doing it for years anyways. And then, so she was a nurse and then she was a spy. And so she had so many fun things going on. And I was so fascinated by this character. I'm like, I want to write an entire book series about her. And so again, we only do speculative fiction. My brain only works that way. So the way it's alternating is up to the end of the Civil War. Everything in history is just like we know it. It's just like that. At the end of the Civil War, a huge mine exploded in the Appalachians, and it released this incredible amount of magic across the continent. Ooh. So now you have all of this magic going on. So as they're, you know, they're they're going through all of these new laws. They have they now have all this new free people. They have uh, immigration up. They have all of this stuff going on. They're trying to recover from the war. Industrialization is hitting in, and now they also have to deal with magic. So I'm having so much fun with that. So I'm working on that one and a short story for that. And then I'm always writing short stories. They make me a better writer. It's just yes. that simple. And it's a good way, like I'm doing with this one, like I did with the collector, to explore an idea. Yes. So I might explore an idea and I'm like, okay, well, that was it. The short story, we're good. Or it might be like, you know what? This is going to be a whole series. This is too awesome. I love but it. Always, always writing. Excellent. Excellent. And when you're not writing, mm-hmm. what do you do for fun? Um, well, my husband and I love to visit breweries, uh-huh. love local breweries. Um, we go and the funny part is I don't even like beer. I don't drink beer at all. So, but I love breweries. They're fun. We're outside. It's um, sometimes they'll have cider for me and that's very nice of them. So it, it's just fun to meet people, to go out and do those kind of things. Um, sadly, this has been curbed over the past year. I also cross stitch. So I will sit. I cannot just sit and watch TV. Again, my ADHD brain won't let me do that. So while I have like the TV on, I'll cross stitch. So I like to do that. I volunteer. So I volunteer with Girl Scouts. Um, I was volunteering for Boy Scouts for many years, but my son eagled. So he's good. He's 19 now and, and we're out. So I don't do Boy Scouts as much anymore, but I do Girl Scouts and I would probably do Girl Scouts forever. I'm a lifelong Girl Scout. So I was in my whole life. I started volunteering before I even had my daughter. I was so happy to have a daughter so I could do Girl Scouts with her. Um, and then my daughter rides horses. So I spend a lot of time at the barn as well. And you have a few animals, I understand. Two dogs, two cats, and a horse. Nice. Yeah, too many. Too many. Who's who? Which is your favorite animal? Do you have a favorite one? Depends on whichever one's not driving me crazy that day. <laughs> nice. Do you have people you would like to give shout outs to? Sure. I'd say and shout out to Fern Brady I did earlier for Inklings Publishing. She's amazing. She also has a small press, but they publish anything. It's not just speculative like like I do. But she's also great with writers, and she's very involved in the community in Houston as well. Um, I would shout out superstars. So it's not a person per se, but it is Kevin J. Anderson's baby. So I guess that counts as shouting him out. Superstars is an amazing event for writers. It actually concentrates on the business of writing, not the craft. So there's a bazillion different craft ones. And quite frankly, they added a craft day on Wednesday. But it goes from Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in February. I Where? don't remember the weekend right now, but Where? if you go to the Superstars website, it will tell you it's Superstars Writing. I want to say it's .com, but it might be .org. But if you put in Superstars Writing Seminar, it'll pop up. But it's business, and he has, it's called Superstars because he has top people in the businesses there. So Jim Butcher's there, Jonathan Mayberry, Kevin J. Anderson, Rebecca Mesta, David Farlin, Eric Flint, 
one after another and they always have guest stars so they always have guest people that are coming on like this year they have hugh howie so hugh howie will be there for next year and anyone who indie publishes should know hugh howie he was one of the first uh he was definitely the first to reach a million so yeah. he's he's quite successful and he kind of paved the way for the rest of us so it'll be awesome to meet him and Gosh. but the fun thing about that is you meet all these other fellow writers and you learn how to do these things you didn't know there are so many things you're like oh i my newsletter on this service is not working. Oh, I use this service. It's cheaper. And then plus it doesn't filter. And so you actually learn the practical parts about the business and you go to lunch with everyone. So you just get a group of people and you go to lunch. There's no same thing with dinner. And you could be with, you know, you could go eat with Jonathan Mayberry that day for lunch and seven other people you don't know. And you leave best friends. Nice. So it's just, it's an incredible event. And I highly recommend it for any writer. Excellent. Thank you. Well, where can all our writers and readers and listeners and curious people about you and your work find you? Well, you can find my website is kellylynncolby.com. So you can find my stuff there. I try to keep it updated as much as possible. If you also go to cursedragonship.com, that's all the business stuff. So we have a submissions page. If you want to submit to us, we are taking submissions at this time. We did have an anthology, but March 31st was the end for that. But that will start again January 1st, if you're interested in short story writing. So, and we have that stuff up. And anytime we go to events, which is going to happen this summer, I demand it. I did get my second shot. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're working on it. That's right. But uh, either of those two places, you'll be able to find me. And if you want to do the podcast that Laurel was on, it's called 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author. You should come and hang out with us. It is so much fun. And that is on every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central on twitch.tv slash Cursed Dragonship. And it was great fun. And when you're done with that, you put it onto your YouTube channel mm -hmm. so people can watch it and enjoy. And there, are, you've got some really fun guests on there. So I would say, again, thank you for spending time with me this Easter weekend, Kelly. Listeners out there and viewers, Subscribe to Kelly's uh, newsletter, subscribe to her Curse Dragon Chip YouTube channel, subscribe and follow so you don't miss any of the good stuff. Subscribe to my YouTube channel because I'm, I'm, I'm doing ducks and I'm doing interviews and I'm doing, uh, I'm starting to do my husband, starting to do my husband. I shouldn't put it that way. <laughs> starting to video my husband doing some construction projects in the garage. <laughs> so I've got a don't little bit that out. So you need to leave that in. That's, that's oh, it. Get a little bit of everything going on there. So yeah, <laughs> subscribe to us because we're awesome. Yes, we are. We are awesome. <laughs> Kelly, thank you again. Happy Easter weekend and best of luck for the rest of this series. I am hooked and I'm looking forward to your next book. So keep writing, keep being awesome. Thank you. Right. You take care now. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. <laughs>